0: This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of
1: Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I am Josh Williams and I'm joined by, as always, David Hughes are you getting on, mate? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you, Josh. Good. <laughs> that was very formal, that one, weren't it? Jesus. Uh, yeah, anyway, we need to tackle Liverpool because we had a tough game. Mm. Uh, we've also got a, a talking point in the middle that I think people will be glad that we're addressing. And then we're going to look ahead to Watford. Uh, maybe shorter. Again, I always, I seem to say this every week now. <laughs> yeah, it never seems to be, though, does it? No. Well, hopefully that's a positive for the listeners. Yeah, yeah, definitely. uh but yeah West Ham anyway uh, it wasn't what we well the result wasn't what we predicted at mm. least uh, obviously it finished 3-2 mm. to Liverpool but uh, it if, if felt like another one of those games that you know the whole I suppose the game into a half showed again Liverpool were a bit slow again in the first half mm. um, and I think Moyes, Moyes came as expected really, didn't he? Yeah definitely Um
0: uh, although we before we get into the numbers, what I will say just purely from being you know in the ground watching it, I thought that Liverpool were were off the pace by their standards. Um, overall, overall,
1: or first half, uh,
0: more so when the game starts. I think they got better the, the longer the game went on, but certainly in the first half, they they just looked off the pace. And I don't know if maybe there's an element of fat- fatigue catching up with them now because uh, it has been a long season, uh, even though we're only see, in I, February.
1: See, we said we said. Last week, didn't we? That I'm, I'm inclined to think it may be the opposite. And I'm inclined to think that maybe we've hit the reset button after the the winter break mm. a bit too much. Obviously, we, we, were in, we were almost machine-like for a long period. Mm. Then we've had a week off, two weeks off, whatever it was. And we've came back knowing that basically the league's showing up. We took an early lead, obviously, mm. against West Ham. And I think we... Um, not foot off the gas, because I don't think the foot was ever really on the gas from the start, but just a little bit... i trying Not, to get I, out the right way, do you?
0: No, I, I do agree, but I think these they still tie in with each other, so I agree with that last week, and I still do, that the break has probably given the more harm than benefit. Um, but I just think it can be a little bit hard to get back up to that intensity when you haven't had a prolonged period off. So, you know, normally in the summer you've got plenty of weeks to recharge... This has kind of been a mini break, and I, I think it's somewhere in between when it hasn't been enough for them to, you know, fully recharge and get energy levels back up. And now they're not able to rely on kind of momentum that they had before the break. And that's what I mean when I'm saying they just look a little bit laggy, a little bit fatigued.
1: Yeah, it's just that that kind of like robotic way of playing where mm. you just so well oiled that everything is just coming naturally, and you're you're not even thinking, and you just doing the same thing almost every week and it's consistently delivering results if you stop doing that for two weeks and then try to restart after you've
0: already had a long season as well yeah it can
1: maybe take a few weeks to to reach that level again Mm. and i think after the game obviously i'm looking ahead a bit too much here because we haven't actually addressed the west Ham match yet but i think liverpool will benefit from having to reach that intensity to win that match Mm because obviously we need to reach it very quickly because we'll have to get to top level before Atletico. Mm. Um, otherwise, we're out of that competition. Yeah. So I think the fact that we had to fight for it until the dying moments against West Ham will benefit us in the in the upcoming weeks. But um, we were both at the game, weren't we? Yeah. And it felt... What's the word? It felt... Not more nervy, but... I'm not really a nervous watcher. I'm not a nervous fan. But during the game, it did feel... A little bit less under control than usual. In the balance? Yeah, a little bit more on the balance, yeah. But despite that, Liverpool, the expected goals on the day, 2.8 for Liverpool and 0.6 for West Ham. 70% possession. And um, this one especially, didn't I didn't feel this in the ground. We had 25 shots mm-hmm. to seven. Mm-hmm. I just didn't register that when yeah. I was watching it.
0: Yeah, it was a looking afterwards if you just looked at the game and the numbers you'd say it was just pure dominance but on this occasion I think there is context to be added um, obviously firstly Liverpool are top of the league playing one of the worst sides in the division currently so you do expect there is going to be some form of dominance there uh, no matter what but then secondly you got to remember that obviously West Ham have come playing quite reserve tactics haven't they they're quite compact and they're avoiding retaining possession and things so I think this game was always going to be a dominant for Liverpool in terms of numbers, but it still felt like um, there was more. I don't know. There's just as you touched on earlier, just less control in the game, and it, it, it did feel uneasy in the ground. It felt like something strange was going on. Um, maybe it's because Liverpool conceded from a set piece as well. It felt like that was quite bizarre. And just little things didn't feel quite right. Passes were
1: often. And- well, we we might as well address what you've just said there right now because we. We looked really dodgy from mm-hmm. set pieces throughout the game, mm-hmm. which is completely uncharacteristic of yeah. Liverpool. That just doesn't happen anymore. We deal with every set piece. You might get one where the opposing player gets his head on the ball first. But in this in this match, there was several that came into the box and either flew right through or weren't dealt with properly or a West Ham player to get his head to the ball first. Mm-hmm. And it was just... A little bit weird. I, I, I looked at the clips back before to see the, the corners we did face. And I couldn't really see anything specific that West Ham were doing. Um, I mean, they were aiming for near post flick-ons quite a bit.
0: Yeah, that worked for the for goal, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. They, run from rice and stuff.
1: Yeah, they were aiming for a few of them. But beyond that, I didn't know like there was anything special.ly I'm not sure if... Was Moyes... Known for doing anything like that at Everton. Not particularly, Batten. Batten. no. But then, I think the
0: game's already evolved since maybe Moyes was at Everton, you know, five five or six years ago. Um, but no, uh, they tended to be decent in the air, but uh, that was more reliant on good aerial players. So, you know, like the likes of Fellaini and Kale in, in the side. I mean, you know, maybe I'm doing a disservice. What I'm saying is, when he was at Everton... I wasn't particularly taking notice of any set-piece routines, I guess. Um, but I thought, it's, it, it, let's give West Ham some credit, actually. They're, they're not bad from set-pieces. No, they've got nine set-piece goals this season now. I think only four Premier League sides have more, Liverpool being one of them. Um, and there was obviously a lot, a lot of corners as well. 24 corners in total, which is yeah. one less than the Premier League records. Yeah it? Yeah. yeah, it was, yeah. It
1: was crazy. yeah. Uh Uh, One other aspect I noticed from the corner, sorry, is that um, I did notice they were crowding out Alisson a little bit. Mm. Michel Antonio in particular was sticking quite tight to Alisson to the extent that Alisson felt the need to start pushing him before the delivery was hit. Um, That's something you usually do to a keeper who's, A, a bit fragile, Mm. or B, not the most physically imposing. So I thought it was an odd tactic to do it to Alisson, but I don't know, I suppose it worked... Sort of it had some kind of influence on what was going on because as I said we didn't really deal with funny enough, in the press room at half
0: time that they had the analysis on the Sky Sports and that was something Cadigan was flagging. Um that they were they were standing on his toes and making and kinda of push them and it's just a distraction, isn't it? It's a technique. Yeah, it's
1: just an alternative way yeah. of attacking the set pieces, suppose. Exactly. But it's probably the worst I've seen Liverpool deal with set pieces in a single match. Yeah. For about 18 months or something mm-hmm. like that since Van no, Dyke prob- yeah.
0: be honest yeah it's a fair point
1: do, um, you, do you think Alisson should have done better for the header um, I mean not really I think I, I do think he gets his answer doesn't he? He, he he gets as close as you can possibly get to saving it um, and I think it happens very very quickly it's a good connection on the header it's not just like a, a weak a weak header is it? it's, mm-hmm. it's got a fair amount of pace when its bottom corner so, to be honest, I was quite surprised he got a hand to it. I mean, I, I'll have to probably look at it back because I'm I'm talking based on being live in the ground. Yeah. Here. I haven't actually seen that go back. Yeah. No, no replays in the ground
0: either. Is what there? about yourself? Um, for an average keeper, no. But I think he would probably think afterwards, "I ah, should 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 have saved that, or I'm good enough to make that save." No, that type scenario. Yeah, no, but, I agree
1: that he yeah. he would be disappointed. With I think it, he'll yeah. be
0: disappointed. Um, probably could have done a little bit better by his standards.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you there, like. Um, but just a little bit more on the whole first half, not being particularly good. We mentioned last week about the difference in XG between the first half and the second half. That was against... It was that against last week? Norwich, wasn't it? Norwich, I think, mm. yeah. Uh, this was the same. So Liverpool, again, generated only 0.6 XG in the first half. Obviously... It, well, around 0.6 point six, depending on the model. Whereas in the second half and by the end of the match, obviously it rose to an eventual figure of about two point eight. So I don't know. It's is there something to worry about? Is this something you've been concerned about? Because I'm I'm used to seeing Liverpool. That's Liverpool failing to go in with a lead. I think a half time, two consecutive Premier League mm-hmm. matches in a row. It's just quite rare. Well, it speaks volumes that that's a rare thing, mm. but it it does feel quite rare this season. So yeah,
0: I, 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 I just wonder whether there's um, certainly not motivation issues, but when you're beating every single team you face every single week, is there an element of just kind of starting the game off and seeing at what level the opposition are, and then deciding whether you, I don't know, need to up it up the ante a little bit. Yeah, uh, sorry, that's
1: that's actually three. So if okay. you if you want to include the Atletico game, the three matches since Liverpool have came back from this winter break, we we yet to hold the lead at time mm. which you think is quite interesting.
0: Yeah, well, that's, maybe that is it. Maybe it's assessing whether they need to up the ante and and also Liverpool a blockbuster name. They? Like they've always been a big name, but saying over the last couple of years they're like a blockbuster name. Now they've got a target on the head. And I think teams are producing an extra ten or twenty percent on the normal performance levels when they face Liverpool, which does have an
1: impact. Yeah, I suppose you could. Because I thought
0: West Ham played fairly well actually, but I've watched West Ham a few times this season, and they haven't been as good as that.
1: No, I watched them a week earlier against Manchester City, and they offered virtually nothing. Yeah. Moyes was completely within his shell just and was just focused the on keeping the uh, keeping the fixture tight. But I think he used slightly more adventurous players in this match. Obviously, Philippe Anderson started. He didn't start at Manchester City. Um, That's actually the only major change, really, Philippe Mm -hmm. Anderson's inclusion, but he can obviously carry the ball up the field, so he's going to make a difference. I I suppose you could put a little bit of it down to Liverpool facing three teams that are generally... Fairly well organised, would you say? I mean Norwich we said last week that they're not they're not the best team in terms of individual but they're fairly well coached. Obviously after Gomadrid, they're well yeah. drilled.
0: And not Norwich seems to just perform above their average standard as well. Yeah.
1: And West Ham, you know, David Moyes set the team up in a in a four four one one. But without the ball, once Liverpool had the ball in, in West Ham's final third, or certainly approaching that. Uh, they actually formed a 631 don't know if you picked up on that. Yeah, yeah. Because it was just a complete straight line. At times,
0: it looked like they didn't even have the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, when Liverpool were in possession, so that's obviously a difficult system to break down. That's complete, like, contain. That's mm. complete hold-on, park-the-bus sort of thing. Um, but yeah, Liverpool conceded as well from the first two shots of, of the match for West Ham. Mm. West Ham's first two shots actually found the net, which... Again, if you look back at Liverpool's season as a whole, that does not tend to happen. No. That's one of the reasons we we have such such under control for the whole season is because we're we in control of the game state for the large periods and yeah. when teams do get shots, they're not generally they don't generally find the net. Mm. Um yeah. so it was one of them weird games. A few things going going differently compared to what's usual, but do you um do you think it was a lucky win? Um, no I wouldn't say it was a lucky win especially looking at the chances we did manage to generate towards the the final half an hour and certainly the XG captures a a fairly dominant performance Mm. at least in the second half I think we did enough to win but despite the the expected goals figures and things like that I I would say that Liverpool weren't at the best Mm. and I I am hoping that the intensity we had to reach to win the game is going to it's going to benefit us, basically. Yeah. Mm. Um, but one interesting note from the game <laughs> that seems to be a bit of a talking point that we're going to now have a bit of an extended chat about is Nabi Kater. Mm. Um <laughs> Walking on eggshells here. Yeah, i was got to say, batting <laughs> down the hatches here. Obviously, it's been the talking point since the game because I think there's a, a wide variety of perceptions. As seems a, to be two camps, doesn't it? It does seem to be too campier it seems to be very very split down the middle of the people that are highly informed by statistics Mm. and numbers Mm. compared to the people that primarily focus on just watching the game and what you see with your eyes is what you believe sort Mm. of thing Um, so we'll go go kind of step by step not just through his, his performance on the day but through you know his overall situation at Liverpool I suppose so on his actual performance on the day, what were your thoughts in the ground? So I've decided to look at it at two ways, really. Well, actually, not even that.
0: I'll, just for the purpose of the honesty how I, I felt at the time, I'm going to disregard the numbers from the game because obviously I've looked at them since. So if i disregard the numbers. You can I, ba- <laughs> I know, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> base my opinion on what I watched at Anfield. I was fairly underwhelmed. Um... I can't quite put my finger on it. It just he didn't feel like he was really imposing in the game and you know, kind of w- what we know about Caton and what we'd seen over in Germany, you'd have this perception and it's he just for me Wednesday, uh sorry, Monday night he didn't perform at that level. Um and hasn't seemed to done very much of it at the pool so far. Yeah. Why, what were your what's your opinion on that question?
1: No, I I was I was quite similar, to be honest. Mm. Um, I was obviously surrounded by reds, um, and you obviously hear the moans and groans when he gives, when he does a certain thing yeah. wrong or whatever. And I think that that does unconsciously shape your perception a little bit. Um, but I thought he was okay. Mm. I thought he was, you know, not terrible, but maybe not as as impactful as he mm. usually is. Usually you know he's playing. Yeah. And I think in this match, maybe he was a little bit more in the periphery. Mm. Mm. Um, I felt he was maybe a little bit slow in certain moments. Um, Do you feel like he was lacking a bit of dynamism and that, that explosive kind of edge well, he sometimes that, has? That, that word you've just used there, dynamism, that's a that's a word I'd absolutely associate with Naby Keita. Mm. He's an extremely dynamic player. Um not scared to be bold and take take situations into his own hands, basically. But, as I said, just a little bit more on the periphery than usual, but, you know, not terrible or anything like that. Um. So, you know, haven't felt that he lacked a bit of an impact. Mm. Obviously, I've seen the stats after the game. And just to provide a bit of insight into into what I what I mean by lack of impact compared to what we usually witness. He had, in, in, a week earlier against Norwich, he had three shots, four individual touches in the box. Their are separate, you know, penalty box moments uh, and six progressive runs. A progressive run is, you know, a, a, a carry up the field vertically uh, without taking a man on, which dynamic players tend to do. Mm. People like Plays like Jack Grealish post a lot of progressive runs and plays like that. Uh, But against West Ham, zero shots, zero penalty box involvements and zero progressive runs. Having said that, he attempted 39 passes, completed 37 of them. So he misplaced only two. Um, But I will say there was was a moment on the edge of our final third where he he attempted to dribble past, I think it was Mark Noble. Hmm. He ended up securing the ball, but Noble got his foot to it, and it could have been slightly dangerous if mm. if Noble got a clean touch there. But it was just—I've just been trying to work out since. I think just why, why maybe we thought that he did—he wasn't up to his usual game because he, he clearly wasn't that bad. But at the same time, I do think it's fair to say that he he lacked his usual impact. Yeah.
0: No. I uh, can I be honest? This is this has been plaguing me a little bit since the game, and um, I was trying to summarise it in my head. I was lying in bed last night, couldn't sleep, and I was just thinking about this. <laughs> and uh, I knew we were going to talk about it. So I tried to kind of summarise it into, I suppose, a short paragraph on on my thoughts. And I've I've kind of come up with that I think it, it's fair to label Cater as a data player, isn't he? Like every, everybody who's firmly in the Cater, like support and group, are or, or all very reliant on his impressive... Um, creative numbers and he's ranked very highly in a lot of metrics, doesn't he? Um, but what I will say is good underlying numbers alone don't make you a good player. But in the sense that, you know, people forget that data is, it's a guidance tool, isn't it? But it needs to be incorporated with what you what you see on, on with your eyes, basically. And with the stuff that isn't necessarily quantifiable in numbers. And obviously we're massive on data but I think what we'll acknowledge that maybe others don't is there's still a lot that you can't quantify in numbers mm. at our level of the data that we have anyway. I'm sure clubs have something more high tech, but at our level and I'm just wondering whether that's the problem at the moment where the numbers are there to see that he is a great player, but there's just things that you watch with your eyes, you know, the, the eye tests they say, and
1: that's maybe where he's where he's fallen short. Yeah, I think usually whenever you look at his numbers, every performance he usually has product to his game. He mm. Usually has output. That's what we deem as a data player, a player that's making an impact, a player that's, according to the numbers at least, dangerous and valuable and that mm. sort of thing. As I've just said, Danny, he had no shot, no shots against against West Ham. Didn't touch the ball in the penalty box, mm. and no progressive runs, which is unlike him. Um, but I know what you're saying in terms of stuff that you can't quantify just a few examples of those that come to my mind um, decision making maybe hmm. uh, tactical awareness hmm. how vocal you are with your teammates leadership um, just you know little yeah, things no, like that, they, exactly that, that, well. that do come into making a player Yeah, yeah. They do come into forming a player
0: and how do you, how do you quantify some of those things it's, it's not possible is it in numbers uh, look you wouldn't buy a player purely on data, would you? You 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 use them to source a player, but you end up you'll watch that player s- several times before making a purchase.
1: and and then probably character profile
0: them as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you know it's a it's a big ma- mix of things, and I think this is what what's what's causing such a split is you'll have people who are heavily reliant on data, similar to people to ourselves, and then you have people who watch and, and see that there's there's things that he isn't doing right because. It's it, look. You can't just disregard the opinions of say like fifty percent of a Liverpool fan base because um, you, you've got you've got metrics to say he's doing X, Y, and Z. Because at the end of the day, if they're watching them week in week out, you can't just value your opinion over there. Is that there has to be some something there that's making people so undecided about about a certain player? Um, so I think it's it's a case of. There is a really good player there, but there's there's things that he isn't doing right at the moment, or as good as he can do, and that's what's um, kind of causing this split in the in the fan base.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's some speculation, isn't there, as to, as to why he was substituted? Mm. Um, I am personally of the belief that, well, I, I I know that Klopp very very rarely makes a substitution before the hour mark. I think Caser came off in the fifty eighth minute. That to me, although we were a goal down, that to me suggests that Klopp was unhappy with something that he was seeing. Mm. Um, Some some people are inclined to think that, you know, we were a goal down, we needed a a new option, so I think you're not going to take off one of the front three, you're not going to take off Fabinho, you're not going to take off any of the back four, so it's probably out of Wijnaldum and Keita. Wijnaldum had scored on the day. And played well. And played well, yeah. So I get that perspective. Um, I'd also even argue.
0: And by the way, I'm just and I'm, I'm cont- we're not going in on Kate at all. It's just a discussion. But yeah, I, well, I've, I've pro- we've got positives to come. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'd argue that Liverpool looked a little bit better with Chamberlain on
1: the pitch as well. It kind of his substitution coincided yeah, well, with
0: a better Liverpool side, I thought.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think what Chamberlain did, Chamberlain showed maybe the the impact that. It felt as though Casey was a little mm. bit more in the shell than usual. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, just another thing as well. Hopefully he listens. I'm not sure if he does, but Chris Williams tweeted during the game saying Klopp and Linders on the, t- the touchline, gesturing and shouting for Cater to move forward. And then in brackets three times, doesn't. And then on comes Oxlade Chamberlain. So it remains to be seen exactly why Casey was removed. It was earlier really than usual, but you know, we leave that we, we leave that much behind. But what are you, what are your thoughts then on on his time at Liverpool as a whole up to now? So look, I, I think he has been unlucky.
0: Um it, it, It's hard to play really at your highest level without a consistent run of matches, isn't it? And he's he's he struggled for game time both seasons. Really, he struggled to solidify himself in the side, and. I think that impacts your your um, your ability to put, perform at the top level, and I think a really good example of this is if you look at um Fred at United. Now, he played around seventeen hundred, I think it was minutes last season, competitive minutes, and he looked poor, didn't he? Like everyone was basically sniggering at the sig- at, at the sign, and then obviously Liverpool got Fabinho, um, and that that looked fantastic, and United looked like fools to be honest, but. He's played nearly double that already this season and he's developed into a key key player. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying he's at, he's at he's Liverpool's level at all, but I think it just shows when you're able to play on a consistent basis, you can start fine-tuning your game in matches and start being well, the player that you you're meant to be and I think that's what's um ha- harmed Kater. A little bit recent, well, since he's come in, really. He's just, he hasn't had that consistent run on the side and I think it's stopping him being the play that we saw in Germany. Yeah. Don't know what your thoughts are.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I know what you're saying. I think he has been really unlucky with the nickels that he's, that he's suffered. Mm. Um, and I think that Liverpool play had a different intensity to virtually every side in Europe. Mm. And I think maybe his body dealing with the intensity in training day in, day out, Results in him getting very occasional, very slight little knocks that aren't big hmm. but are just enough to keep him out the 11. And Klopp is all about momentum, Klopp's all about with him and things like that. And if a player's out, if for example, now Henderson's obviously out injured. If Oxley Chamberlain goes on a strong run now and Henderson returns to fitness, it's highly likely Oxlade-Chamberlain will stay in Mm. because that's kind of how Klopp does things. Mm. The only only player I can think that's come straight back in in that midfield area is Fabinho. He's made efforts to bring Fabinho up, reintegrate him after the injury just because of obviously how important he perceives him to be.
0: Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel
1: I must admit, in terms of where I thought he'd be by now, um, when we signed him he he is the player I expected yeah some people I think were expecting I don't know Zidane <laughs> or something like that but <laughs> he's he, you could make a highlight reel of him yeah based on his time at Liverpool based on this season whatever he still looked great and his metrics are really good yeah and yeah. his numbers are still great he's, he's still that output player but I did think that by now he'd be maybe Liverpool's version of a a Luka Modric hmm. sort of thing um, I thought he'd have obviously 19 months after actually making the move to field I thought he'd now be the Liverpool midfielder, and I thought that when Klopp picks his midfield, if he had a fully first eleven. I thought that Caser would be the first name on the team sheet by mm-hmm. now because we were buying a special player. Yeah, that just hasn't happened mm-hmm. because mostly of injuries. Yeah. Uh, sadly. Um. Just- yeah, it's. One. Can I
0: just ask you something? Um, I don't know whether you should, because there's still a little bit more. I think we should say on them, but just while we're on it, would you ever consider forgetting like selling them or anything? Now, would you ever consider loaning them out? No. <laughs> Hear me out. Hear me out. Just to get a consistent run within a side, that to be the right side in terms of getting them back up to his, his, his top level, maybe even the six-month loan.
1: No, I, I, thinking- I wouldn't personally know. Uh, there's very few sides out there that would benefit Nabby at the minute you say if you, I, I don't know, I can't even think of these teams, but if it, it, a lot of teams out there don't play like Liverpool really don't play to Liverpool's intensity and things like that, so he could go out and gain minutes and come back and still suffer from the same problems mm. and he's been away from Liverpool's development for them for six months. I just think
0: it's really hard though if you're not if you're not at the top of your game to get into the Liverpool because they they're so good,
1: yeah, no, I know what you're saying
0: um. So I, I mean it's a conundrum, but I'm not even saying I would loan I'm just curious for for your
1: opinion, I guess. Yeah. Mm. So in in terms of like the 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 stats versus the eye test sort of thing, mm. what what's your stance on that? Because obviously we try to consider family, both really, don't we? It's yeah. like a fifty fifty thing. It, it it's probably just what I said earlier. I think he um, he,
0: he looks great in the data and. He has had some really good moments playing for Liverpool, but just not enough. And he's—I think the reason he's, he's splitting the fan base is because um, he's perhaps not doing the stuff not quantifiable uh, as good, and that's what um, that's what's sticking in the memory of, mm. of of fans and leaving a bit of a—I don't know—tarnishing their kind of narrative of how he's playing. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think it's a mixture of the both, and I think maybe he is still the data player that we that we know, but he's just he's lacking in other other areas at the moment.
1: Yeah, Why I think developing? I think my perspective on this right is, I wrote about this this week. Um, seems to have got a generally quite positive reaction. Really, I think people have understood where I am coming from and things like that. But I think he's he's in a little bit of a similar situation to Sturge, right? and the reason to say that is because when Klopp came in Sturge was clearly one of Liverpool's quality players Mm. clearly Um, but the problem was he could never um, play a consistent run of matches before picking up an injury and with Klopp being aware of that Mm. Liverpool have still got to continue developing Liverpool have still got to continue moving forward and if you're not getting a consistent run of matches and others are they're going to go up while you maybe, not go down, but you, you're maybe standing still or, or, or that sort of thing. And wh- while Sturridge has spent a bit of time out here and there, Roberto Firmino's playing every single week, mm. becoming a number nine, establishing himself, all that sort of stuff. And I think when when we initially signed Keita, Alexander-Arnold wasn't at his current level mm. in terms of the offensive capabilities he's got. Andy Robertson, again, I think he'd been in the, in the side for about six months, mm. just displaced Alberto Moreno. So, again, he, he wasn't anywhere near as established as he is now. And I think Keita's came in. And the intention, really, because Keita started, I think, his first three games immediately. Klopp mm. doesn't tend to do that. Yeah, He usually gives you time behind the scenes. Keita mm. came in immediately, played against West Ham. Don't think he got an assist, but he certainly got at least one hockey assist, which is the assist before the assist, for those that... And away, um, and I think he 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 was then deemed to be a crucial, you know, aspect of how Liverpool will play moving forward. Mm. Um, but I think without him and having to use the likes of a, a midfield that consists of Wijnaldum, obviously I, I'll put into this as well that Oxley Chamberlain also suffered the ACL, mm. so he was going to be out. So yeah. Klopp fairly Klopp knew that really week in week out he's going to have mostly a midfield yeah. of Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum. Not a great deal of creativity there. Not a great deal of penetration there. You got to get that from somewhere mm. else. And I think over the course of Naby's time at Liverpool, Alexander-Arnold and Robertson have really developed into top playmakers. Um, and it's resulted in Liverpool's midfield becoming basically a defensive phase area. Mm. Discipline, control, balance... And the fullbacks off of the penetration mm. and the threat. So I think when Naby comes in, he conflicts that a little bit, yeah. Because he is naturally just a creative player, an inventive player. He likes to take risks, mm. likes to play his own game. He dribbles and runs forwards with the ball, dynamic and all that stuff. Yeah. I, so um... he goes against. He goes against a little bit how Liverpool have developed since he came.
0: Yeah, you know what? I can, I can only really add to that point. Um... Plus, as well, Liverpool actually signed him, am I right in saying, in the summer of 2017. Yeah. So just think about the side in the build up to that signature when they would have been doing the um, detailed kind of analysis of him and thinking about recruiting him. You know, Liverpool were a side not guaranteed the top four place, worthy. they? Um, it was a lot different to what we're seeing now. i players like Henry Chan and stuff in there. In, uh, um so their kind of um planning and looking at the squad and how he'll come in was was what two and a half years ago. Since then Liverpool have gone on to be a, a phenomenal side, they've progressed massively on the pitch. As you said, they've had players in different areas kind of reinventing where their creativity come comes from. And that has meant that Liverpool's midfield is basically self-sacrificing. And I think Walnaldum is a fantastic example of how that happens. Like for me, Walnaldum can play any role, really, yeah. across the midfield. We've yeah. talked about that loads of times. Like look, look how he plays and where he plays for Holland. But yet at Liverpool, he's he's very reserved. He he very rarely gets a man of match kind of performance. He's he's very rarely involved in um, creating goals because he. He has to play within himself to do a bigger job for the side uh, and that's what's expected of this Liverpool midfield now and maybe when they were looking at buying Cater originally, that wasn't
1: the case. Yeah, I mean, I've just looked into that, what you've just said there. The summer that we actually officially signed Keita uh, a year in advance, mm. the summer that we signed him, we signed Robertson as well and in the season before leading up to that summer, Alexander-Arnold started a total of two Premier League matches. In the starting 11. So, obviously, by that stage, Liverpool is still very much progressing towards something, mm. but it was kind of open to interpretation at the time, I suppose. Mm. And as I said, just the way things have worked out for Keita and Oxley Chamberlain, I suppose, both because of injuries, not because of quality or anything like mm. that. Just the way Liverpool's tactical makeup has shaped up in terms of the go to system, mm. the, the absolute Liverpool 4 3 3. I think Keita and Chamberlain are almost a little bit um, they're a little bit alternative to mm. what the usual fit would be they're not they're not a Henderson are they? mm. they're not a Wayne in terms of li- being a little bit limited being very disciplined mm. not really in- it, focused on creating chances or shooting or anything like that they're mm. just fine with performing in an almost robotic role so I think when Kater comes in he will be a threat mm-hmm. more so than the lads have just named. Yeah. But when he gives the ball away a few times, people will maybe be a bit knocked by that because mm-hmm. they're not used to seeing it from our usual sense midfielder sort of thing. It's just, yeah. it's a, it's an interesting little prospect. Well, that's worth
0: some, adding it just for, just to put kind of pieces all together. The, the, the reasons he's, he's probably losing the ball is because he's attempting to progress things a little bit more, which ties yeah, but, in with that point, doesn't it, that you're saying?
1: Yeah, well, I'll, I might as well use that as a... Segway. As a segue <laughs> to to actually capture what Kate is doing and why Kate is deemed to be such a data player and he's so valuable beneath the surface if you can get him regularly involved. Mm. So this season Cater's played a total of nine hundred and eighty seven minutes for Liverpool and that's in all competitions. Wine has played two thousand three hundred minutes in the Premier League alone. Um so Based on those minutes, that that works out roughly as about fifteen full matches more for Wine Alden, but despite that, um, Wine Alden's assisted seven shots in total. Kater has already assisted fifteen. Uh, Wine Alden's played eight through passes. Kater has played twenty. These are attempts, by the way. Um, Wine Alden's played twenty-seven passes into the box. Kater 34. Wine Album's attempted to score 25 times. Kater 23. And again, that's despite Wine Album playing over double the minutes. Mm. So Kater is just generally, when he's on the pitch, Liverpool is just much more likely to score. Mm. He's just a more dangerous player overall. As I said, the only problem with that is it's just whether you always want that. Mm. Because obviously, you don't want a team full of. Um, full of planks Yeah, <laughs> you don't want a team full of crabs do you Yeah, because otherwise you'll never score but what's, the team, what's the uh,
0: saying uh, too many sheriffs not enough Indians or yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah. yeah that's, that's basically what it is you don't want too many offensive players because you obviously need some to but that's it, it if, if you have
1: too many sideways players you'll never score mm. if you have too many risk takers you'll never be in control mm. so I think I think Keita was initially signed as a risk taker for Liverpool you know a real playmaker who can Make a difference in the final third and things like that. But just because of how Liverpool have silently developed while he's been picking up these slight like, knocks, mm. he just now looks a little bit like an alternative fit in the usual system. And that's not a bad thing. You want variety in the mm. squad. But he came in, I think, as a pillar that we were going to build around, maybe. Mm. And he's, he needs just, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's
0: still not a guaranteed starter, is he? Yeah which, it, yeah. Surprise, yeah, which is a bit of a surprise.
1: which is a bit of a surprise. Yeah, um, I will say though that against West Ham he was used on the right of the midfield three. Mm. I like him on the left. I think he's the way he uses the ball and the angles that he opens up on the ball um, is just much more suited to the left side. So I don't think that's I don't think that's great for him. Mm. Um, so in terms of the future, what, what do you think it, the future holds for Keita? Obviously, we don't want to be. Ridiculous he didn't get, get out of hand or like that? Um,
0: I don't know. Look, I don't think he should be written off at all. Um, no. There's plenty to suggest that he could be successful at Liverpool. It'll just be an interesting 12 months, I think. Um, I think he's still got a future, but he ideally needs to get just stay fit. And if he does, I think he's the type of player that with, with consistency... He'll start uh, improving his overall performance levels, and I think then he could potentially be that player one day. Because I, I, I just at some point I expect to see Liverpool's tactics evolve anyway, because that's just how football works. Sides, you know, um, steam ahead, come up with a tactic that wins them things, makes them the dominant team, but then the opposition find ways to counter that, and then so then those sides have to evolve again. That's just how football always works. So. Liverpool are gonna to have to eventually evolve the tactics and change the way they're playing. And, and I, I could imagine him to be a big, big player in that when that does happen.
1: Yeah. I mean I will say that, you know, I just said then that I like I like Cater on the left of the midfield. Mm. That's obviously Wine role. Wine the established player in that role. What I will say though is that wine now twenty-nine. Um with time, it's likely that if Cater can can be available enough. Perhaps he's got enough, you know, about him to, to establish, to, to almost nudge Wijnaldum out as yeah. Wijnaldum starts aging a little yeah. bit. Um, Keita very recently turned 25. So he's, he's still got time on his side, but at the same time, and bear with me when I say this, <laughs> he, it, there's a little tiny bit of a fear in the back of my head that he's a li- maybe following the route of a Jack Wilshire. And what I mean by that is Wilshere always clearly demonstrated a real unique ability in comparison to other centre midfielders. Mm. And it was it always felt like people were saying, just wait until Wilshere starts getting going. Mm. Wait until Wilshere establishes himself in the, in the starting lineup and plays a full season and that stuff. And he just never did. And before that? you knew it, yeah. he's, t- he's 29, he's 30. Yeah, his career's over. Uh, obviously, Kate's only 25. You've got plenty of time on his side. And as we capture with... The analytics and the data and stuff like that. He is an incredibly unique player. If Liverpool can, as I said, I compared him to Luka Modric before, he, he can become a, a Liverpool version, if you like, of Luka Modric for me. But you better not have just side then. No,
0: no, it's not. No, I, I do. I agree. Um, yeah, it's just. Um, I just keep thinking about Keaton,
1: Jack Wilshire, and. Yeah. <laughs> no he's just a player that I thought would maybe have established himself a little bit more at Liverpool by now but uh, 19 months later there's still no real I'm, I am still feel as though I'm waiting for an extended period in the side before I definitively judge the player yeah. do you know what I mean but mm. it doesn't feel like we're getting that um, and obviously it'd be interesting to actually check when his contract runs out and stuff like that mm. um, but from the data perspective, which is what we try to focus on on this show, he's a very, very dangerous player. He's in the he's in the mold of Salah in terms of just offering output, offering stuff that is basically valuable on a football pitch and product, with and without the ball, which a lot of midfielders can't do. Um, hopefully, he continues to improve and stuff like that, and hopefully, he reaches a point whereby he gets into Liverpool's eleven and doesn't really leave it because I think Liverpool ultimately become a, de- a more dangerous team with them um, but maybe it's just taking a little bit longer to, to develop as we'd hoped mm. something like that yeah
0: I've oh, yeah. got a little too hard to that mate I think that's a good roundup of mm. the situation
1: didn't want to be too harsh didn't want to be too no, I think, that's, I think that's level yeah I think that's yeah. fair, fair no need comments. to get carried away anyway I mean I suppose Henderson's only been injured for one match and he came in for that one match. And the only reason we're really addressing this in the detail that we are is because he seems to be such a talking point. Mm. Uh, But we'll see how he goes anyway. So, move on to Watford. A team that feels like we previewed very recently.
0: Uh, But it wasn't, actually. No, I was about to say, uh, it was the back-ended last year, so two and a bit months.
1: Yeah, so it was Pearson's first game, actually. Mm. And since that game... They are 10th in the table, based on Pearson's Pearson's time in charge. 9th for goals scored. 10th for goals conceded. 10th for XG, theme development. And 12th for expected goals against. So, another one of those very vanilla teams you know, what? just middle of
0: the road. They, but they're exactly what I thought they were anyway, or they, what they should have been. Yeah. Uh, even when they were where they were, at the foot of the table. You know, they did kind of feel like a mid-table side that were just underperforming, a little bit lucky, unlucky. I think you might have said down the, on the last preview of them. Um, so, yeah, you, you, the pearl face in the side who uh, boxed down the mid-table. Yeah,
1: but with um, with good qualities when I've got everyone fit, at least. Mm. I liked what he did initially. Obviously, he moved it to a 4 one Physical centre midfielders in Ducore and Capoue, mm. And he used... Two outlets on the flanks. I do in, like Corey, by the way. Just want to point that yeah, out. He's yeah. a good player. I like Salah as well, who I was just going to mention. Mm. Good player. And he missed a sitter, didn't he, in Anfield? Well, I think he's out anyway for this for this game, thankfully. Because mm, okay. he can actually carry the ball up the field. Yeah. Um I think Pearson said before the last match that they had against Man United that he was not even close. No. I so if he's not good. even close for United, surely can't start against Liverpool. Mm. Who else did you say, De LaFeyu? Delafeo, yeah, I think that's what he that's what he seemed to build it around for me. Mm. Two physical centre midfielders and two wide players you can carry the ball. Mm. That was how I viewed it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they sat in a block and as soon as they won the ball, those two wide players or one of the two centre mids just drove them forwards. Mm. Mm. And it it worked well, they were organised in the first couple of weeks, but I think they've they've hit a sticky patch recently. <laughs> yeah, they've lost
0: um obviously lost to Everton, lost to United. Although, what I will say is I did watch bits of that United game and the um, they have a goal this will have VAR yeah VAR at, at a crucial moment. And I do think that's, that has a huge psychological effect when you think that you've... I can't remember if that was to level the game or take the lead, one of the two. And, and um, I think it's difficult when the players are on the pitch to shake that lingering kind of injustice, even though it was the correct decision. And then they'll go and end up losing 3-0. But it didn't feel like a 3-0 game. Um, so, they, well, I'm basically in a roundabout way saying that it might be a half-competitive game
1: for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, just on that sticky patch that I've just mentioned there, the last five Premier League games, they've lost three and drawn two, which I hadn't personally picked up on. I didn't realise the form was actually that bad. Mm. Um, obviously, they suffered a recent 3-0 loss to Manchester United. And... On the attacking side, maybe this stems from the loss of Saar. But seven shots against Man United, five shots against Brighton, 11 against Everton, and only eight against Villa, who are renowned for being wide open, really. Yeah, conceding loads. Uh, So they don't seem to have a great deal in attack, and considering you're facing the best defence in the league in Liverpool, I'm inclined to think that we're going to maybe face no more than four, to be honest. Well, they rely a lot on like De La Feuille, for example is a, is a good player but he um,
0: he's highly inconsistent so he can he can produce like a match winning performance one week but then the following five or six he'll just be rather mundane and yeah invisible yeah invisible yeah and when you're relying on those players as your main form of attack it means that a lot of games you, you're not going to have much to much to offer uh, offensively so it'll be
1: It'll be interesting to see what De Lafayette turns up against Liverpool. Yeah, I think they'll benefit from the fact that they're at home, but I think that regardless they're going to relinquish possession because um, 44% on average since Pearson's time in charge, um, they've posted above 50% possession once, and that was against Villa, and that was 51%. <laughs> so um, they don't want the ball, basically, as yeah. I said. They sit in the block and they'll try and counter you. Defense first,
0: attack second, isn't it? Really, that kind of philosophy. Yeah,
1: to be honest, it's it's been a recurring theme for Liverpool since the break. Yeah, because we faced Norwich, who did similarly. Mm. Then we faced Madrid, Atletico Madrid. Then we faced West Ham, back six, and now we're gonna face a very um, reactive side mm. in not in a uh, Watford. So maybe it's good practice ahead of the uh, second leg. Mm. Um, what I will say. Attacking Watford is that they uh, they seem very vulnerable to made two fast attacks, you know in the transition when when the play is a little bit yeah. open. They scored against. They conceded past few of their goals in in that manner. They conceded against Greenwood on the weekend. Mm. Good goal actually. Conceded one against Everton that proved to be the winner as well. Yeah, um. well, on Everton that's the next uh, weakness that I've got labelled down there. Set pieces. Oh yeah. Everton, Everton obviously scored too, didn't he? Yeah. In the did, space yeah. of about two minutes, I think. Yeah. Uh, but both of them, uh, Everton seemed to target the back post mm. of Watford, and I looked at why. And a few few weeks earlier, they'd faced Burnley without Pearson in charge, but they conceded a similar goal against Burnley at the back post. Mm. So that's one to watch for the for the Liverpool game. At, you know, set pieces being delivered towards the back post and whether we score for on the not.
0: What, I will, what I'm going to say for people to watch out for is I, I can imagine Liverpool are going to attempt a lot of the um, short corners and then, so say like Robertson to Trent and then Trent swing it in and Liverpool overload the uh, the back post because I think they were doing that a little bit against West Ham and as you've just highlighted, what for the week there? And it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, Robertson, Trent, Trent into the box near the... The back post on like the second phase Van Dyke knock it down or someone put it in
1: yeah that's me tip <laughs> <laughs> Put a fiver on that one yeah uh, so verdict then oh yeah I can I'm not
0: going to say comfortable because as I said a lot of people are giving Liverpool a game at the moment and um, maybe they're struggling a little bit just to get back up to anywhere but I, I still fancy Liverpool I'm going to go I'm
1: going to go 3-1 I'm going to go 2-0 I think I can't see them scoring based on the recent attack and displays, especially without Sarr. Mm. They just can't seem to get up the field and, and create chances and things like that. Um, so yeah, thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you, mate. <laughs> Hopefully uh, we, we we provided enough balance on navigator there We obviously didn't want to come across too negative yeah. or too positive. Um, I think both sides have got legitimate concerns and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, do let us know unless it's abuse, in which case <laughs> just don't. <laughs> but we are still in this camp, aren't we?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I like, said it's 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 about it's about providing like a yeah, objective analysis on the situation, and I, I just don't think it's you can be there like with your eyes closed saying how, how, I think how great he is. You need to add a little bit of yeah, perspective. I to think it. I
1: think it's important to to point out what he's really really good at and what he's offering, which is hopefully what we did. Yeah, but also point out that. Those that have some concerns about you know his development, his, his standing in the squad, his mm. performances when he do get it gets a chance, I think they have they have a, re- a reasonable point that I suppose needs explaining. So definitely keep the faith with him anyway. Uh, thanks for joining us anyway, and we will see you next week. Cheers. It's that.
0: Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel.